Well, good evening, everyone. And of course, as we hit start, the video freezes. So I'm going to bring Ian in right away, and then I'm going to reset my uh, camera here. But uh, welcome to the Launch Pod, episode 001. Ian, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Well, oh, it looks like my video maybe is going through to the real world, but not to me. So we'll see what happens. But uh, welcome, everyone, to the Launch Pod. This is our weekly live show here on the Launch Launch Pad, where we talk about everything space that's happened in the last week, uh, what you can look forward to coming up in the week ahead, and take time to answer your guys' live comments and questions, and maybe occasionally have some special guests. If this is your first time here, take a moment, let us know where you're watching from, make sure you hit that subscribe button, and share out the link. This is a great time for uh, new space fans to come in and ask questions, and those of us that maybe think we know everything but definitely don't to come hang out and uh, share our knowledge if you guys have questions you can send those in uh in the chat using the super chat or you can head over to streamelements.com slash the launchpad slash tip if you send it in as a super chat or through stream elements that will guarantee you that we answer your question as long as we deem it appropriate for the show uh and then if you send it in as just a regular question we're going to work to try to get through all of those if for any reason we get a stockpile of questions and we can't finish them up here tonight, we will uh, answer all of those uh, in what we're going to be calling kind of our companion videos, uh, and you will be able to see those. We'll record them and upload them within a day or two of the show uh, to make sure we answer those. But um, with that, you guys are getting some nice freeze frames, or at least that's what it's showing on my end. But uh, Ian, how's it going? It's going pretty good. We had an interesting week in space, and I'm excited to talk about it. I'm going to reset my camera here so people maybe see me, but uh, why don't you uh, get us started with the uh, the first uh, thing that we were going to talk about? Sure thing. Um, so I don't have the pretty photos that you do. Oh, there we go. It's popping up. So uh, anybody a big fan of Katy Perry here, you might have noticed that she put out a new music video. Uh, I actually don't know the name of it. I, I didn't pay attention to the music, but... In the beginning of the video, you will notice that there are two starships. And uh, there's also Boston Dynamic Robot that looks sneakingly like the one that SpaceX uses at their site uh, when they want to kind of observe how things went after a launch. Um, so anybody else notice that? Anybody else have some thoughts? Uh, anybody like Katy Perry and actually paid attention to the music? It's not a bad song. It's a little different from what she's done. It's got some energy to it. Uh, I was just too distracted by all the tech that's in the video of like how futuristic of a world, but how industrial it is as well. Um, it's a good song, but you, it's definitely a call out straight to, uh, to Elon and SpaceX. Um, I know some people on Twitter were talking about how she... I guess did something around Falcon Heavy originally, so seeing her kind of being a fan now, I guess, wasn't too much of a surprise, but uh, it's uh, it's interesting to see uh, a couple starships in a very non-starship S, but this just makes me think of the uh, Orbital Tank Farm having been there. Like, it's not this pipey around it, but, you know, if you didn't know what an Orbital Tank Farm looked like, I think this is what it would be, so... Uh, we'll see what uh, happens. But yeah, let us know in the chat uh, if you have uh, taken a look at the song, what you guys think, and we'll uh, we'll get to your guys' comments here in a little bit. 
uh, as things continued on uh, over the last week, we saw some exciting developments at SpaceX as they worked uh, to continue towards their orbital flight test by hanging some big water balloons uh, on the uh, chopstick arms. These are generally used, where, oh, where's the image? There's the image for crane testing uh, on like oil derricks and boats and uh, shipyards and stuff. Uh, so uh, we now know that uh, the uh, chopsticks can uh, hold quite a bit of weight. They've gone also up to their highest peak that they've ever gone. They've gone all the way up. Uh, they're ready to go. Elon put out a, a drone video of them reaching the peak and then zooming out while the launch pad did like a test. And I was like, you you know that was a planned marketing thing, but it looked really cool. And they're they're showing that that site's ready to come alive and uh, launch something. But what did you think of seeing these big orange balls appear? Well, I can't say exactly what I thought, but uh, it's pretty cool. Do you know, um, I assume, because we have photos of the, uh, the, the, the ones that are used for the regular cranes, they look like they're about the same size. Can we get a rough estimate on the mass that's in those and how that would compare to a booster that's landing? Do we know like if they overshot it to see what it can be stressed to or if this is just like a fraction of what it would be? Well, it depends how big they are. I did have uh, here, if we know the, I mean, what do we think the rough filled height is of one of these in feeder meters? Like having looked at Starship or even empty, because we've got the empty picture here. Like that's easily... 15 20 feet maybe kind of looking at comparison because it's definitely more than like one floor um uh, i i've pulled up some of the statistics and that's how they broken up but a empty bag that is about 20 feet can hold fifteen thousand kilograms thirty three thousand pounds and then it can scale up very quickly. Like if it scales up just two more feet, it goes to 20,000 kilograms or 44,000 pounds. And we know there are at least six, if not eight bags in use. So they've put well over 100,000 kilograms if they fully filled those on the chopsticks, which I don't feel like that's how much a booster was going to weigh because Elon said the booster is going to be pretty much empty. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I assume this was probably just to see preliminary, can this thing like function and what the speeds are, and then from there maybe extrapolate, okay, here's what the next tests we're going to do. The reason I asked that is kind of a precursor. Uh, if we could take guesses in the chat, how long do you think it'll be until we can see them take a booster and attempt lifting that up and down? Uh, and will that be before or after the orbital flight, will they attempt to even use this thing for the orbital flight or just have it completely off to the side? Well, I totally forgot to grab the road closure page, but I know later this week, I believe it is, we have two or three 12-hour test days, which we don't normally see down at Starbase. We normally see eight, maybe 10 hours, but to see a full 12 hours of testing uh, is definitely showing they're trying to ramp up. So maybe we'll see some more um, there. I personally think it's going to happen after the orbital flight i don't feel like they're going to risk that launch pad this close to when they're thinking it's ready to launch for something to fail but because that would just push them back but i don't know what are you thinking 
Uh, no, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And actually, in the chat, they say that each bag uh, weighs a hundred tons. So you said there were how many bags? <laughs> it's it's on? printed on the it's printed on the bag, so we know that's accurate. <laughs> yeah, um, there's so still at a least lot of six, weight. at least six hundred tons. Then, if not more, that's quite a bit. That's also, at Starbase this week, we finally, I guess, maybe is the word, said goodbye to Booster Three. Uh, it uh, was chopped in multiple pieces over the last few days uh, and is now still just sitting there. It hasn't moved anywhere, uh, but uh, is uh, finally, I, I, we think, done for its life. Do you think they're going to try to do more with the remains or what do you think they were even doing with it in the first place? Honestly, I don't know what the advantages of a decommission now would be uh, if, if they're intending on using that for something else. I don't know if the weld lines, uh, when it's cut up, would even allow for it to just be pieced back together like that. Um, so kind of <laughs> beats me what, what they're going to do with that or whether they're just going to maybe like melt down the metal. But I don't know if it's worth that much for them to take that time and effort to do something like that. So... Uh, I'm just going to kind of keep my eye on the site and see what's going on. Uh, actually, somebody in the chat, I want to point this out, did say that SpaceX, as of now, does not have the big crane. So at least to stack Starship, they would need um, the chopsticks. So uh, that is interesting. Do we know why they don't have the large crane anymore? Was it not an ownership thing? Did they rent it out just for the stack and then put it back? Oh, uh, Zach, I was told that your audio has muted. Let's try that there. That's a great okay. question. Ian heard everything I said. You guys should just be in the live Skype call. Uh, uh, the Franken Crane, yes, was a rental. Um, the new one, Crane X, which is what I know many are calling it, uh, is their own. And from what I understood, it could be extended. But it looks like they might be more interested in using the um, actual tower for the stacking. The biggest question is, is the uh, S20 or S21 designed in a way that they could even use the, um, the chopsticks to lift it? Because right now, the only thing they could really grab onto is either pressure clamp the side of it or use the upper flaps uh, to, to grab on. So uh, more questions than answers, unfortunately, but that's uh, pretty typical for Starbase. Yeah, and I don't think they would ever risk doing a pressure clamp, especially with those heat tiles. Uh, if a little vibration can can send them falling down, I, I'm sure they're they're not very uh, very keen to doing anything else with them other than just sending it up and and letting it land. From what you've seen, do you think the Starship tiles, uh, the the what were they calling them, star bricks, are going to work? Oh, I didn't know that there was an official name. Uh, yeah, I do think so. I know that they had noted. Um, since the preliminary test, they have done a better job with adhesion. Um, and I think 
uh, if we, I don't know if we have any old video or whoever wants to look at it later, if you look at their tests uh, chronologically, you'll notice that slightly few do fall down. I know somewhere there was a thread on Twitter that had talked about the specific reasons why that was happening in the first place. Um, but suffice to say, I don't think it's a problem that is persistent. I think it was something that they're well aware of and it's fixed and will, if anything, definitely be fixed by the time they attempt to launch that. Uh, because having a tile, even one uh, fracture or, or fall off, uh, can be pretty catastrophic, as we know from uh, some of the space shuttle days. <laughs> yeah, that's always been my biggest fear with you know going the heat tile route. You know, we we know they can work, but we also know what can ultimately end up happening uh, if they don't fully work. Uh, so you know, I think. Uh, I, I'm thinking back to when we did the interview with Inspiration4 with Jared. Um, they had just had a failure of Starship. And I know a lot of people were like, oh, no, we're launching, you know, Crew 1 or whatever it was, you know, a few days later. There there was just this mindset because so much media had captured that Starship failed. And now we're putting people on Crew Dragon. And I think the way he said it, working with SpaceX at that point for, you know, so many months and being with Elon and headquarters, saying that we need to remember that this is a new vehicle. And the way SpaceX works is they design it and they push it to failure so they know where that point is and then they make it better. Um, that we know Falcon is safe. We even know it's only had four or five flights with a crew dragon. You know, I would get on one now. I feel safe about getting on one. Where Starship, I feel like it's probably going to get to that same point. Like, we've, we've proven it can hop. We've seen it once belly flop and land. Now we need to start seeing that repetition to start proving that idea. Um... But like, I don't think anyone would have thought, yeah, let's land a booster and fly it and would have trusted that off the bat. And now we've seen 102, I think it is now, landings, which is kind of crazy that we're already into that number. So kind of crazy. But uh, continuing on with going on these super heavy launch vehicles, though, uh, Artemis uh, is continuing on towards their launch date. We know it was delayed. Uh, due to funding, spacesuits not being ready, ships not being ready, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But the NASA media office has reopened the media applications for people to come to the rollout of SLS and Artemis 1. Um, now, we don't know if it's going to have multiple rollouts. This is just the first rollout to the pad where they plan, they, they're saying it seems to be within a week of rollout, they're going to do a wet dress rehearsal. We've uh, applied, so fingers crossed we get more notice than Inspiration 4, where it was like 72 hours. But uh, our hope is to be down there for a rollout of the first SLS and maybe be walking alongside of it, I think would be incredible. Uh, but we'll definitely be there for the launch whenever that happens. But um, yeah, what do you think about them actually starting to really plan bringing SLS out like we're going to actually get to see one on a pad I am torn I don't know if they're doing that to say look we're making progress we are going to launch soon or if they're saying that to stall out the fact that they still have a good bit of time before they do anything functional so this is a good way to kind of appease uh while we're waiting uh that being said Either way, I'm still happy that we will get to see more of it and it won't just be uh, stocked away in the VAB uh, only for select few people to lay eyes on. I'm kind of hoping when it comes out, 
that it lines up with the Falcon Heavy solely because I'm greedy because then I can make it worth the trip for two things. But also, <laughs> it'd be amazing to have an SLS on 39B, a Falcon Heavy on 39A. You could then have a Falcon 9 on 40, maybe throw an Atlas V somewhere. And, you know, if you really want to go to the end, throw Astra at the end. You know, like, we could see four or five rockets all different on pads at the same time at Kennedy. Probably unlikely, but we've seen two Falcons quite frequently now. Um, so what's saying we couldn't see others out uh, on the pads at the same time? So, we'll, Do we know we'll, when the, the next Falcon Heavy is? I'm trying to look it up We don't now. have an exact date. It was quarter two, so we're guessing April, May-ish. But they do have five or six that were scheduled for this year if all the payloads are ready. Because the first two are payloads that were supposed to be ready last year and launches last year. Yeah, so... I remember that because I wanted <laughs> to go to that one. I think it was supposed to align uh, roughly with Inspiration 4. And then they pushed it to, I think, November or December. And now it's pushed back to, yeah, quarter two. Yeah, I was really hopeful it's going to line up with Inspiration 4. I was like, I'll stay an extra week. We'll go to Starbase later. We'll stay for a Falcon Heavy. You know, we'll just knock them off one at a time. Falcon 9, then Falcon Heavy, and then a Starship. We'll just go up the chain. But uh, what do you guys think about SLS maybe getting ready for its first rollout, planning for a wet dress rehearsal test, what that's even going to look like? Because um, I'm trying to think back to a shuttle wet dress rehearsal, what that even looks like. I don't remember. Do you? What uh, We've seen some wet dress rehearsals with Starship, but... Yeah, I, I, I don't recall. I do have one request, though. Uh, if if anybody on the team is able to go, uh, and if you are able to stand next to the transporter as it like brings it to the pad, I want somebody to run or, or speedily walk next to it uh, just to say that they went faster than SLS. Um, I think that'd be kind of fun. I will do it. Okay. <laughs> I, I take that challenge. Uh, I probably could crawl faster than it moves. But... Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that. I said speedily walk, but honestly, you don't have to even walk that fast. We know is is its speed uh, constant for what the vehicle is, or is it based off of the weight that's put on it? I think it's based off of weight, but also height. Because okay. I, they do have to tip up a little bit to get to the pad. And SLS is quite a bit taller than Shuttle was. So I think they would have to be worried about that. But it all depends on, like, what the... Like, Falcon has its strong back. So it's not as big... You know, it gets tipped up. But the question, you know... Can you imagine an SLS rolling out sideways and then tipping up? That'd be a sight. But, um, yeah, I'm not too sure on that. But I would assume it would change depending on weight and height. Um, and probably even just the weather. Like, what's the wind like at the time? That's a pretty good point. Uh, yeah, I hope. Well, I don't know if I yeah, no, I assume they have to have good weather if they're going to do the rollout, right? They can't have that, even though they're not actually doing a launch because it's a new vehicle and they want everything to go well. It still has to be sunny, low wind, everything like that. So was that a call out to what happened with Starliner and the Atlas V that we've heard <laughs> about recently? About uh, did, did you hear about what happened with NASA and Boeing and some more information that's come out? Uh, if it's been recent, then I don't think so. So please enlighten me. So it, I've heard it from a few places. I don't have a NASA source that's confirmed it. But apparently NASA and Boeing both knew the RCS thrusters were f like frozen open.
before they approved the flight readiness review and the launch readiness review. Which is kind of a big no-no when were the next flight of Starliner would... is crew. Yeah. Were they were they hoping it would be fixed or like in in the meantime? What what was the idea with that? I I'm not too sure. All I know is I was reading that a few places and it was from people that were supposedly in the team that there was a, a review done and that was found out that they actually knew before those events but they wanted to keep moving forward. Maybe they didn't know as how bad the damage was. Maybe they thought it was just like ice or something, like frozen or stuck. Not a total gut job like we've now seen where they're basically scrapping the entire uh, service module for the next ones that's in line and then working on the capsule itself. Like it, it's a to- almost a total redo. Um, for that mission so we'll, we'll have to see what happens if any of you happen to work for nasa or boeing and uh know what's going on let us know in the chat but uh I, that really concerned me especially with the next one being crew it's yeah like, is nasa really are they gonna they've, take that they've, risk they've been down this road plenty of times before um and i don't mean to to hate on nasa because in general i do love what they do but if you think back to most of their uh their blunders it's not that they didn't expect something to go wrong or didn't know that something was actively going wrong. They just didn't care. Or they said, we have to meet a deadline. We're going to fix it later. Uh, whatever the case may be granted. I know they do have these deadlines and they do often push up against them and go beyond them. So there is that added pressure, especially when you're dealing with people's tax dollars and whatever political powers are there too. But when you're talking about people's lives and and you're talking about something that at the end of the day did have billions of dollars spent of your money, my money, well, not your money, you're in Canada, my money. Um, it's it's very important that you get this thing right, even if we have to wait a long time. Web was behind schedule how long, but now everything has gone perfectly and look at how happy everybody is. If they would have tried rushing it and launched it five, 10 years ago, uh, or what in 2007 when it was originally scheduled, but like it wasn't ready, that would have been it for Web. Uh, that's one of the things where there is no second chance. But in in a rocket or a service module where there's supposed to be multiple of these things built, you even more so need to get it right the first time. That's that's my spiel. I I I agree. I think you know we think back to, unfortunately, Apollo One, Challenger, Columbia. You know, we can't forget those because they are what have led us to having the safety measures and everything we have now. And uh, my mind, you know, new capsule goes to Apollo 1 that they stopped the entire Apollo program and redesigned the entire capsule to be safer because of what happened with the Apollo 1 crew on a pad test, not even a launch attempt. So it's like, what, you know, if this was just RCS, but what if there was other issues that arise where are our safety kind of guidelines and measures you know we i don't want to see us risk people and i think we're seeing that with the uh, astronauts now being transferred to crew dragon and the dragon's contract being extended um like they're working on the extension um is because they even nasa doesn't trust starliner they don't think it's going to be ready to go so i mean i hope it works it, it has to so much money's been poured into it but dream chaser anyone <laughs> i don't i mean 
I I hope it works too. I think at this point, and and maybe you can say that this is a bit premature given the fact that Starship like truly has not proven itself. But if it does, the whole SLS idea is kind of a sunk cost fallacy. If you look at how much it's going to cost per launch, it's it's like utterly ridiculous. Granted, if Starship does take the time uh, that it's supposed to. Uh, well, no, because they even say that it's supposed to ideally still go around the moon for 2023 for um, the the Japanese billionaire. What's his name? Is that still the the targeted date, 2023, that they're going to go around the moon? Or have they pushed that? Uh, I was grabbing something. Uh, yes, that's the last update we have. But we haven't been told any more, so we're not too sure. You were talking about like what it's gonna do. I we're releasing models in the future, but I have some prototypes. This model is from the awesome people at Bohimzo, supported the channel early on. This is the first generation of the human landing system lander that SpaceX was gonna do. Some updates, obviously, livable space is up to about here ish. Some tanks are up here. They're still figuring it out. This is a scale model of SLS just in comparison. And the only part that people can go in is here. Which one do you want to land on? We're going to land something on the moon that's bigger than the boosters that take four people into space and a lunar injection and could land. Um, yeah, I think this if this works... It's going to change everything. Now, do you think there's other options that SLS could be used for that would be better than Artemis? Like, do you see it being a functional vehicle for larger satellites? Like, we know Lavoir, which is coming up after James Webb in, like, 20 years from now. It has to launch on either a Starship, a normal one, or an SLS current. So do you think SLS is going to stick around long enough that it could still be a heavy lift vehicle in the future? I see it... If everything goes well with Starship, uh, I see if if people made the right decisions, I'll preface it with that. I see it being a heavy lift vehicle for maybe another five, maybe six years before they transition to Starship. Granted, they don't have to do that. Uh, they they could very well say we built SLS. It costs a lot of money. We are still NASA. We prefer ourselves in certain situations. We are going to continue to use this vehicle. I think though. That wouldn't be the right move, only if Starship does prove itself in a good amount of time. So really, it depends on the performance. Uh, and I don't know enough about the specifics of each rocket and what it's capable of doing with the exact mass and which type of uh, orbit injections that they have planned for uh, to, to say what is better for certain things. Because I assume even being ridiculously priced, there's maybe something that SLS can do that Starship can't. I hope for that price there's something it can do that Starship can't, uh, and I will look more into it. But uh, yeah, conceivably five or six years, and then maybe retire that vehicle early. It'd be so sad, like 15 years of work and it's gone already. Uh, no, but, I mean, uh... it, it, it would be, but if you think, imagine SpaceX was around in the days of the space shuttle. Uh, now, there are definitely certain things that the space shuttle can do that SpaceX can't do, namely satellite repairs and things like that, because it had such a large like opening in it. Um, but the basic idea of a reusable 
rocket that can bring people to space and back. If we had something like the Falcon 9 and the Dragon capsule back then, I would have hoped that they would have retired the space shuttle at whatever point it became more viable to using Dragon, which I hope would have been very quickly. And that's kind of what we're seeing now in the past, what, it's been a year and a half and already we've sent people up quite a few times and we've got quite a few more plans. They made that transition pretty quick. Um, we didn't really have a lot of other options, but we could have kept relying on Russia. So it's something. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, ninety-five million a person to squeeze into a sardine can. I want to see a Soyuz in person. I don't want to ever board one, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I I agree. They did make that transition quickly, and I mean SpaceX proved it pretty quick. Like the booster was already proven, so it was just flight rating really the booster and the capsule, and it was the abort test, the uh yeah the in-flight abort test, and then they did a parachute test. And they did that launch abort system test. It wasn't actually a lot of milestones because it worked. Um, we're seeing, you know, with Starliner, they're already getting delayed. But uh, as we'll see what happens with SLS. Because that's the one thing I find really interesting about the SLS program is there is no testing it. We're launching one and then we're putting people on it. Like, I get that from here down, it's basically a space shuttle just with the weight on top instead of on the side and a little taller. But it's like, really? We're only doing one? Like, obviously, they're testing the capsule and stuff. But we're only doing one vehicle, and then we're saying, yes, it's a totally safe vehicle? That seems a little risky compared to what they've put other people through, where they need multiple tests. Do you think that is a product of them being firm believers in the safety of the vehicle uh, and the reliability, because like you said, they have a lot of knowledge based off of their previous vehicles, or do you think that has something to do with the fact that it does cost a lot of money and beyond doing a lunar injection, what else would they do to really justify having an unmanned flight? Uh, I think it's money. <laughs> I, I, I definitely That's what think I think it's... too. I just, I wanted to make sure we're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. I think because like you mentioned earlier, it's government money. They can't have, they can't blow up 10 SLSs to make the first one ready for an orbital flight test. Um, they, they just can't do that. It would bankrupt NASA. And as uh, Francis mentioned, it would bankrupt the United States. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens anyways. Um, I, yeah, I think it's money. I think it's definitely, uh, it's a good point. Like, what would they do? Um, they've tested the capsule separately. But it just seems so, I guess, with Falcon 9, like, it had to go through its testing phase before they did stuff, then the capsule did. It's kind of interesting seeing, we know what we're doing. We're NASA. You know, we're going to launch it once and hope that it wasn't a fluke that we nailed everything the first time. And then we're going to go put people on it and send them to the moon. So, uh, well, I, I mean, think... I'm wishing them luck. They know what they're doing, but... Yeah, no, I... Everything that I just said aside, I do fully trust NASA. And I think it will be successful. It's not that I want to be a pessimist and saying that they're all bad people and that this thing's going to fail. It's going to go well. It's going to take maybe a little more time than they're willing to admit. But I'm very excited to see what happens with it. Uh, some plurality in space, specifically with launching people, is always a very good thing. Um, but I can still be cynical sometimes. <laughs> oh, I agree. I, I'm... Uh... I want SLS to work just as much solely because it's the closest thing I'm ever going to get to a space shuttle launch. And I want to feel those SRBs. 
and four engines, let alone three from shuttle. So at liftoff, it's gonna be just as it's gonna be basically equal. It's just gonna look different. So I'm I'm excited to feel at Kennedy with the tickets they sell. If you go to Banana Beach, are called Feel the Burn. You don't really feel the burn with Falcon Nine. Apparently, with shuttle, you you feel a lot more than we felt with the Falcon Nine. So I'm excited for that. But uh, speaking of Pad Thirty Nine A transition, um, <laughs> we had uh, Artemis or not Artemis Starlink launch uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, it was the insp- was it the Inspiration Four booster that launched it? Yes, it was. That was the fourth time or fifth time, I think fourth. Um, and it what's launched the next gen sats. Yeah, you you can you can look at the post-launch photos, and you can still see the signatures etched out of the soot on the side, even after the multiple launches. That's crazy that the soot stays clear that long. I mean, that's two launches to space and two re-entries, and you can still like maybe a third, fourth. We'll see how long it goes. I'm sure the crew. I know I saw uh, Jared and Chris tweet uh, on the launch day leading up to it, and then after, you know, my favorite boosters. Uh, you know, seeing that, that uh, their boosters back on the pad, let alone back on 39A too, that it went directly back to launch from there. Um, but these Starlinks were one of the first ones to have the lasers on it to help break down the communication between sat to sat and the ground, from what we were understanding. Um, yeah, I wonder. I wonder how easy that is to pull off. I know the idea of space lasers is pretty cool, but when you think about it. Uh, the satellites are relatively small and they are pretty far away. Uh, they have to be dead on to be able to like really transmit any data with the laser. Uh, I wonder if there is any sort of adjustments that have to be made, uh, to allow that process to happen or if it's really spot on already and they just had to add the, the lasers themselves. Yeah. And they can't fit as many because of it. So there was only 49 on board compared to the 60, which, Again, points to Starship has to work for Starlink to work, uh, which I think is, you know, that scary idea of, you know, if Starship doesn't work, what's going to happen to SpaceX because of the investment and direction they've got with Starlink? Because um, there's no way they can launch all that they want by 2024. They got two and a half years to launch three times as many as they have in four years, I think it is. Yeah. Roughly that, because they, they have to get half of the entire constellation up by November 2024. So uh, I'm sure they've got a clock somewhere in head office ticking <laughs> down the days to they have to make that or they lose their frequencies with the FCC. So we'll we'll see what happens. SpaceX, can that was the first launch of the year, which was actually the third year in a row that SpaceX was the first launch of the year, um, which was interesting to see. We'll see how many years they can keep that up. Uh, that was uh, just a few days into the new year. Uh, and then again today, this morning, they launched Transporter 3 from Slick 40 uh, of another booster. This was the third booster ever to get to the 10th flight. So this one's now going to go into a longer refurbishment, um, we're expecting. But uh, we'll hopefully see uh, it occur- um, be back out on the pad sooner than later. We've seen one already take its 11th flight uh, and prepare. This was carrying up 105 satellites that had 82 deployments. Uh, and the guy on comms did not get a break for 30 minutes today while they were deploying. Deploy confirmed. Deploy, And he had to say the name of every single one as it was happening. Um, there were two that they didn't confirm during the stream, 
but I believe they confirmed later that all did successfully deploy um, to their orbit. But uh, more exciting than the launch was what happened after, which was pretty rare to see, uh, a landing back at Kennedy Space Center, booster 1058, I believe it is, dash 10, uh, landing back at landing zone one. And the SpaceX team always blows me away with these photos. Yeah. yeah. What, what I like a lot about the um, landings back, like in, in the facility, uh, and I don't know if we have this photo queued up, but I saw a few of them where there's just a bunch of people kind of in awe at the beach. People that probably don't have much of an interest in space to begin with, even though, or, or I shouldn't say not much of an interest, but if you live in uh, that Cape Canaveral area, you see launches all the time, but to see an actual landing right there really captures people and that's that's really what brought a smile to my face of course the photos are always beautiful but just to see other people really interested because it's right there that's what i live for yeah i, I don't have that one i did see it but i don't have it and um it's exciting seeing space coast kind of come alive again you know you really saw that with the shuttle uh you know they would basically close roads because everyone wanted to come see the shuttle and never really dawned on me how rare shuttle was like, you know, we had a few a year, but it wasn't near this frequency anywhere close. Um, so when it was happening, it was something that people stopped and really wanted to watch and enjoy because, you know, we only had 135 in like 30 years or 25 years. So um, it's neat to see that and see how busy it was. I know we had Marcus and Taniel and a few others that watch the show and are some were part of the team that were down there uh, this morning and said that even Kennedy felt a little bit busier. Um, that, you know, this was first thing. They basically opened the gates and everybody was rushing to get ready for the launch. Um, and the buses were busy to get out to the Apollo Center because it wasn't an extra ticketed uh, event like when you and I went for Inspiration 4. But um, I think we're seeing it, <laughs> if it's free, the public's interested. If it's $250 <laughs> a person, they'll watch it from a mile further away. Um, well, what we can do next time, there is, if you go all the way to the limits of Playa Linda Beach, I think you're at roughly the same distance as you are when you're at the Apollo Center. Um, granted, you're on a beach and you have to it's kind of first come, first serve. But uh, if anybody is out there and that does want to go to one of these launches but doesn't want to pay whatever money they're charging for the ticketed ones, that's always a viable option. So long as the beach is open. I know when I went for demo two, they closed it, but that was also a COVID thing. And Florida is a lot more iffy with any COVID measures now. So, yeah, they're not going to close the beaches anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's 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 lots of places to watch Playlinda and that beach whole region is really nice. Um, and then even I, I'm trying to figure out where that photo is that you were talking about with all the people on the beach because that's not Playlinda. No, it's somewhere not. to the south, I think. Yeah, that's I think that's Cocoa Beach is is what it was. Because that's a lot closer to where they actually land. Right. Because it was it was at the Space Force um, area, if I remember correctly. Yeah, the launch was on the, at the Space Force at Slick 40. And then the landing is just a little bit further south than that. So uh, it was almost better to be south at uh, Cocoa Beach uh and over there than it was actually to the north but uh uh two launches down they've got another one uh in about a week so they're gonna have three uh four launches within about three and a half weeks if we include the one at the end of december here so they're gonna have a lot of boosters heading for refurbishment 
in the near future. We talked on it a little bit earlier, talking about like James Webb and you know what it could launch on and stuff. But uh, I know you were excited about this as long with a lot of other people. So what happened with James Webb? Yeah. So. Uh, and actually, I, I didn't know this fact, and I don't think many people knew this fact until it had launched. Uh, they were hoping for 10 years, but I think the the minimum requirement, uh, what they needed to do to be considered like successful with the mission was five years of operational time based off of whatever fuel it had left after it got to Lagrange 2. Uh, not only did we hit five years, not only did we hit 10 years, but because everything went so perfectly, which is not something I think I've ever said with a NASA launch. Uh, we, or it wasn't NASA launch. Anyway, 20 years, 20 years is, is what we should expect for the James Webb Space Telescope before it needs uh, refueling, if that's possible at that time. That is insane. Um, that's, that's really good. And I think that is if we want to use it at its full operational capacity, uh, I don't know the details on this, but I'm sure if 20 years comes and goes, there are still things that we can do with it to a limited capacity uh, as it starts to fall out of repair. And maybe um, I, I don't know if at that point it comes out of the Lagrange point and just kind of floats around back towards Earth or towards the sun or, or what goes on there. Um, but I'm so stoked. That's incredible. I think it depends where it falls out of the, you know, at what point is it closer to the earth or more towards the sun gravity side? Cause there's all the different pushes and pulls there. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of science, but I know I saw a picture once and there's just a lot of gravity waves, but I mean, crazy to go from 10 to 20 years, uh, especially since people have been working on this for like 35 and it's their whole career uh, to know that it's not being, you know, five, 10 years only, that uh, it is going to have that lifetime uh, of flexibility. And I think, like you said, just because it runs out of fuel doesn't necessarily mean it fully dies. Um, it hopefully can have some more uh, life because it does still have a solar uh, panel on it. It does have everything else. It might just be at a fixed viewpoint. Um, and then eventually it'll slowly fall out of that L2 um, but crazy just that it's even deployed. I th think it's amazing just how much of the world's kind of stopped and watched it over the last two weeks, uh, as it continues on its journey towards L2, another 10 days. I think it's 10 yeah. days today, actually. It'll that do its L2 right. insertion. Um, and then I, I also saw, uh, James Webb tweet about this. I don't know if they had started it or if they were just talking about it, I couldn't really tell from the tweet. Maybe I was just oblivious, but I think they are starting to move some of the motors on the mirrors as well, getting them out of that launch position and into the, okay, I'm ready to, to do things position. So they don't have to worry about the vibrations and everything anymore. Yeah, they originally they were supposed to do that over the next, like last four days and then kind of the next week. I know they've pushed it a little bit closer to the L2 point and just to give more time. Um, and it's funny them talking about movements, but one of the people they had on during the, the final mirror deployment made a comment and I was like, wow, they're, they're not really moving these. The largest movement they're going to make is like four millimeters. So you're like, that's the biggest thing they're going to move one of these mirrors, but they need to be able to control all of them. Otherwise they're going to get double, triple, quadruple vision or more. Um, so I think that was one point we were talking about actually in our discord, if you guys hang out in there, uh, we were talking about James Webb and 
is what if one of these mirrors fails and doesn't get to a good point or eventually gets scratched? Um, there's no way to get rid of that mirror and have just like a lower resolution photo. You're going to have to deal with whatever happens to that mirror affecting your final image unless you could maybe turn it away enough that it doesn't aim at that secondary uh, mirror out in front of it. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. It's very different from how Hubble works. Um, and James Webb is laying the foundation for what Lavoir A and B will look like, which James Webb 6.5 meters, Lavoir A they're aiming for 8.5 to 9, and then Lavoir B at 15. Um, so we think James Webb's big. Wait till we see what those two look like as they start to finalize those plans and get ready for launch 20 years from now. Start the countdown. We'll <laughs> schedule the live well. stream. Um, you, you, did, you brought up a good point, and I wanted to ask a question. I don't know if you know the answer to. So with a regular like Dobsonian telescope or something like that, if you put something in front of it to block out light, it will create like diffraction spikes um, or other like optical effects, but you can still observe. So theoretically, if one of the mirrors motors fails or something like that, um, do we have the ability to actually take that mirror and point it in such a way that it doesn't hit that uh, secondary mirror? So then it could just create another like diffraction spike type thing, or will it always be there and we have to just compensate in some way for whatever image that creates? That is a question I have written down to ask some of the James Webb team when we get to. Once there you it's go. <laughs> we, we've talked to some of them. Once it's commissioned and they all get to sleep a little, um, some of them are going to be able to hopefully come on. Uh, we might do it on LaunchPod. We might do it a little separately um, and uh, get to ask some of those questions. But that's one of them because they only move it four millimeters to the left and down or left and up. They're, how far do they have to move it to the right and can they? Um I mean, you're you're not targeting a huge spot. So if you move it just enough to get it out of the way, um, I think that would help. But I think like Hubble, you know, one, we kind of went and put a pair of glasses on it eventually. Um, but they did write software, which James Webb uses. That is, if, from what I understand, if something gets, you know, on your lens or whatever, you can program software after you have enough captures of, okay, this spot is always the same. Just remove it from every photo. So it doesn't affect it. So, like eventually like it's space it's gonna get hit by space debris we're talking about like two atomic layers of gold sprayed on this it's gonna scratch eventually um so we'll just eventually have kind of like dead pixels and photos like we are used to on the nasa iss feed um when they're bringing a crew aboard but uh hopefully that doesn't happen for a while because it has no deflection capabilities so we'll we'll see what happens uh, if you guys were with us earlier today as well, it was a double launch day. We had another Virgin Orbit flight uh, of Launcher 1. We uh, made it through Richard Branson's uh, speech of ums and ahs uh, and saw a slight delay for the taxiing. But uh, after that, they stayed right on schedule uh, from takeoff to getting to their range uh, for launch. They did the one racetrack loop, and then they were off and on their way with the launch uh, we've heard that it seems to have gone well. Uh, Cosmic Girl landed back in Mojave Air and Spaceport. That's the plane. Uh, and then the actual rockets launcher one. Um, so, yeah, nice to see another one of their missions. They've only had four. Uh, and three of them we've been able to cover on the launch pad. So we'll hopefully see more. They, they teased getting ready to launch uh, into the UK, Japan, and Brazil. 
uh, for launch capabilities, bringing Brazil online uh, and bringing Spaceport Cornwall, I believe, is the one in the UK that's going to be online for Virgin Orbit. Um, what what do you think about launching rockets from a plane? Do you think it's a, a good concept? I know we had a lot of people in the chat being like, well, why wouldn't you just launch it from the ground? Why would you launch from a plane? Because it is a small payload. It's a small payload and you can make it small because you don't have to. A lot of the rocket fuel is spent just trying to get up to certain altitudes. So if you don't have to worry about getting to that altitude because you're attached to something else, you're good to go. That's why a lot of rockets, um, uh, they'll have boosters on the side. And the boosters will be the primary thrust force that get them up to a certain place and they go away. And then you have the secondary um or tertiary engines that start up because that's really when they're needed. If you can get a plane to get you to a certain altitude uh, and also going at a certain speed, granted, I don't think that really does too much because it's just using the rotation of the Earth way more than it would be using the few hundred miles per hour. Uh, I don't know what that would be in kilometers that the plane's going. Uh, I'm sure every bit helps, though. But then, yeah, you're very limited to what a plane itself can carry. I'm sure they have the inside gutted too. I haven't seen what they've done with like the seats and the stuff like that, but, uh, there's definitely benefits. I think it is right now a very niche way to, uh, to launch something and only because the market's very niche. But as we start to see, uh, more smaller satellites wanting to launch something like Starlink, uh, granted, of course they wouldn't go in, in here, but, uh, like we just had the rideshare that we talked about with 105 different payloads. There's a lot of small things uh, that are more and more going to space. And if we can utilize other methods, like I said earlier, like the plurality, then it's good for everybody. So at the very least, it's it's fun to watch these completely different methods of getting things to space. It's very different watching a rocket launch versus a rocket launch from a plane. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's... Uh... I think it'd be a great way to get new countries into space to help prove their government that maybe there is an interest. I think it's, you know, it's really hard to ask a country to build a spaceport or a launch complex when, you know, maybe two people are like, yeah, we want to launch a rocket. But, you know, if Virgin Orbit can come and has a couple launches a year in Brazil, then maybe it's something they would actually start looking to. I'm wondering when the next plane's going to come. Like, we're obviously right now they've only got the one. Um, but if they're going to start flying out of UK, Brazil, Japan, you're literally talking every continent other than Australia so far, uh, and Africa, but I'm sure Africa will come online. Maybe eventually, maybe South Africa. I'm not sure which countries would come online there, but you're going to need more than one plane because it does take some time to prep it, um, in advance and they have to be able to have the ground station support, but kind of like in this photo, it's a little hard to see, but at the bottom, that's pretty much all it is for the plane like you have to fuel the plane but as long as you can get local uh, source for the rp1 and the methane i believe it was um they uh can launch from that location so uh we'll see what they do next uh with virgin orbit i know people were looking at their stock as it's been going up and down and now that virgin galactic and virgin orbit are both on the market um it'll be interesting to see how if one affects the other even though they're very different space companies that the same company, but separately listed, um, you know, if something happens with one, will it directly impact the rest of the Virgin brand uh, or will they become quite separate where one is payload and one is customer based? 
Um, and we'll wait to see when we get the next customer base uh, flight uh, with the Unity spacecraft. As that's been, they announced the crew months ago, uh, but we don't have a new date just yet for that. So hopefully sooner than later. Uh, I have a question for you, Zach. I don't know if the answer is out there or if it's really up to interpretation. Do you think they will at any point in the future try and utilize, instead of building their own facility, uh, building a building uh, attached to an existing large airport? Is that something that's even feasible? I think that's the original concept with Virgin Orbit. Um, like Mojave Air and Spaceport was an airport first, and then it got upgraded to be an air and spaceport. So I definitely think the concept was as long as they have a runway that can hold a 747 modified, um, it's able to go. Because really, they haven't modified it, actually, if we think about it all that much. Where that rocket fits is where an extra engine would go if they ever needed to fly it to another place because of a plane broke down. So, like, though they've changed probably the inside a bit, maybe a little bit of the structure for, like, the launch capability part of it, um, the plane is pretty much just a 747 which means any major airport in the world they could launch from. The bigger thing is where is it they can get airspace to have a no-fly zone enough for the rocket to launch because they've only ever launched over water. So if you're looking at something in the middle of Europe, are they going to try to find a big lake or what would they how would they handle that situation or would they only be at shore-based regions? Now, they could launch and fly for a while as well. Um, you know, like today they flew about an hour to their launch site from Mojave Air and Spaceport. So it does give them some flexibility in that case as well. Um, but I think eventually we could see it from other launch sites or for a country to first come online, prove that there's interest, then see it become an air and spaceport down the road. Um, because that's basically what they did in Mojave to start. So, yeah, well, I wasn't even thinking in terms of uh, physical uh, limitations because I know it's it's a standard Boeing but uh, would the public be comfortable would there be any public pushback if they saw a plane with what looks like a ballistic missile attached to it uh, launching off the same runway that they are going to launch off of would, would there be any hiccups with the safety aspect of it being that it is a rocket attached to a plane that's a good question. I don't think I have an answer for that one. I, I I know me being on a plane, I'd be pumped to see it, but I'd also be like, if I didn't know what it was, I'd be like, ooh, we going to war. <laughs> like, I'm going to not board this plane. Uh, I know we had a few people uh, in the chat during the launch be like, little did we know, the first strike of World War Three would be from a Virgin Orbit aircraft. <laughs> I was like, that's terrible, but uh, it does look like a missile. Um, I, I like what they're hoping to do with their second generation, which is put it on top of the plane. I think that might be a little less concerning looking. I think um, it'll look goofy. I'm, I'm excited to see that. I want to know how it's going to launch. Because like right now they drop it. Yeah. And it falls away and then ignites and f speeds in front of it and the plane turns. But if it's on top. If they have it on top, but it's Does the angled, plane free like, fall? It... <sighs> Like, the plane's got to get out of the way because they can't ignite the engine. It'll hit the tail. They could um, Two so have it have it on the side, like a dummy mass on one side and then the regular mass on the other side, tilt the plane up so it's ascending, and then launch it that way. 
I don't know how that would Their render had it smack top middle. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that's not going to hit the the back tail. (laughs) Hopefully someone else is thinking about this that's actually there and not us. But uh, let us know what you guys think of Virgin Orbit. Do you think, uh, I think like SLS, do you think they're going to be around a while? Do you think it's going to last or is it going to be a... You know, after a couple years, we're now going to have Electron, and we're going to have Astra, and Firefly, and Relativity. We're going to have these cheaper land-based options. Are they going to be able to stick around in maybe the bigger markets like the U.S.? Do we know what the price is for the launch of Virgin 12, Orbit? Approximately $12 million a launch. Okay. I believe a Falcon 9 was 55 for a cargo. Okay. At minimums, then if that's the case, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm sure they'll stick around to some capacity because even if things are overpriced, if you need to launch something and there's only limited launch providers, that being said, there are a lot more launch providers coming online uh, and that plan on coming online. I don't know. I think I don't have a clear answer to that, and that'd be a very interesting space to watch. I think JJTV's got a really good point here. And if you guys are sending in questions, don't worry, we're not skipping them. We're going to get through all of these, and then we're going to come back and go through your guys' comments and questions. But we keep an eye out on them. Uh, JJ, uh, JTTV, who actually won the giveaway earlier, um, uh, saying they'll launch it like they did Enterprise, which is an interesting thing. When they were testing the shuttle, they had the plane, and then like the shuttle like just went. But I think that was because it was a glider, so it had some lift. Yeah, so that's, that's what I was thinking, too. Maybe has... it has wings. Maybe the next one has wings, and it looks like a drone. They could have wings to get it to lift and then immediately detach those wings once it's a certain distance. Yeah, if it was over water. Yeah. It's over land, you got these big skewer wings coming down in the suburbs. As pointed out by a few people, but maybe. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. It's a, it's a, it's a space to watch. And uh, I think the, the last big thing that we had that developed this week was the ISS. Uh, being uh, updated. Uh, If you guys had kind of followed along uh, on our Space News updates for the last little bit, we had talked about the deorbit burn plans for the International Space Station. We talked about the future of it and how there's four new space stations uh, in development that are all private. There is not a space station run by just government agencies that's in the plans right now. Uh, But the uh, Biden-Harris administration... Uh, finally did something with the ISS and confirmed that NASA's going to fund it through 2023, uh, which means that deadline, that plan of starting a deorbit burn in 2026 is going to get delayed. Um, luckily, means we get stationed for a little bit longer. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens because 2023 is basically when the U.S. modules will start to expire being human certified. Um, so I'm not too sure, but I'm excited that we're going to get, you know, almost, you know, eight more years of it, uh, and have a a little bit of an overlap of when Axiom Station and a few others, uh, come on board. Uh, what was your thoughts when you finally heard that it was being updated and extended? Uh, excited, but also a little anxious, uh, not so much about the U.S. portion, but I know some of the, the Russian segments already are falling in a little bit of a disrepair and are worrying people if we extend that out until 2030. Granted, I never want to see the ISS leave orbit, but I also know it does have some lifetime attached to it and it is aging. 
unless these things are replaced and there's not a current plan to replace entire segments and i don't think you can replace certain segments just because it was built to be that way um it 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 concerns me a little bit um i'm sure it's safe and that's why they're doing this but i don't know if we're going to get close to 2030 and they're going to extend it again or if until now and then they have some plan to revitalize certain aspects of it um but that aside, of course, very excited. We always need some sort of a constant presence in space. And I know that the ISS gives a lot of really important information in, in the sense of doing experiments that we can't do outside of the zero gravity environment. Uh, so to have that resource there, uh, not only from a scientific aspect, but also uh, the diplomacy that it offers, even during the Cold War, um, the, the uh, granted, again, this wasn't the ISS, but we we were always um, working with uh, Russia and with other countries that we were kind of seen as, as enemies of at the time. Just having people in other countries work together in space and be that shining example uh, is, is something that I don't really want to see leave. So I hope uh, once 2030 starts to come near, there is going to be... Uh, showing on the international community's part to replace it. I know Axiom and other companies are looking to replace it, but I think to have something come from a government uh, is very important, and I'm glad that it will be extended at least until 2030, and hopefully all goes well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm going to zoom in here if it let me. Um, the flags of the... I love that they put the flags of all the nations that are supporting it, and this is probably going to pixelate a bit, but... Uh, I think you're spot on. The fact that, you know, it is U.S. Russian led, but that, uh, you know, Canada's been with the Canada arm and so many of the other nations have uh, payloads and parts of modules on board. Um, yeah, I hope it's something that we don't lose. And I think, you know, we started really following the Artemis Accords and the nations that have signed on in comparison to how many have signed the Outer Space Treaty. And the Artemis Accords are only at like 13 nations, where the Outer Space Treaty, is, I believe, in the 80s or 90s. Um, so I'm interested to see how much this starting to, you know, we've got a date again. 2030 now is when it's going to start wrapping up. We'll see what happens getting closer. But are we going to start seeing, you know, as we get Artemis 1 and Artemis 2 going, wh when's that shift going to start happening that nations start deciding how they're going to fall? Um we know that the U.S. is open to any of their government partners flying on SLS and the human landing system um, to the moon and opening that up to other nations, which the fact that that's what they want to do right away and that probably on Artemis, Artemis 2 will have the first Canadian on board. We're not landing, but we're going to the moon. Um, but Artemis 4 will hopefully have um, someone else on board. Uh, we will wait to see what uh, kind of happens with that. Um, if other nations start to uh, come online and say, yes, we want to uh, work with NASA and we want to continue on uh, and do more uh, in the space industry. So uh, exciting to hear that it's extended. I absolutely agree. Uh, and we'll see what happens with uh, the other nations as they continue on uh, over the next little bit here. But uh, those were really the biggest stories of uh, the week that we had so far. Uh, so we want to hear from you guys at this point. Uh, this is the time of the show. We're going to set aside every week uh, the, the last half of the show 
to be what you guys want to talk about. Send in your comments, your questions, uh, and you can do that super easy on a couple ways. You can send it in as a super chat or through streamelements.com slash launchpad slash tip. That's going to guarantee that your question is read on the air as long as it is appropriate by uh, bo- deemed appropriate by uh, both of us. And then we are going to uh, continue working on those and getting to your guys' questions that you have sent in over the uh, the last little bit here. We're going to make a quick adjustment. Yeah, it seems I'm now the one with the camera issues. You're good. I'm just going to adjust you so we don't only see your forehead because, you know, probably not what we want. But uh, if you guys have questions, you can send those in the chat and we're going to start answering those we're also going to scroll back and uh, go through some of the ones that came in over the uh, the last hour it's been uh, going through everything that's happening in space this past week um, so I know we had a couple come in here Whoop, wrong button that's the button I want um, and then I'll fix our split view uh, I know we saw Taniel mention earlier that uh, giant waters towers can fly and water balloons can fly as well, or at least lift off the ground. Uh, and this, uh, in relation to the uh, Starbase balls uh, that's happening, uh, which is quite uh, interesting there. Let me adjust this one camera here. But yeah, take a moment, send in your guys' questions, and uh, we will answer those here in just one second. It wouldn't be technology if it didn't reset once during a broadcast. Yeah, luckily I have my backup webcam, and that's what you're looking at now. Oh, okay. Um, I'm I'm unsure what happened with my main camera. I'll have to figure that out later. I was like, uh, why did his aspect ratio change? <laughs> like, that's really odd. Okay. Uh, I'm not really seeing any questions in the chat. Come on, people. It can be comments, too. You can just call us out. I know we had a couple people being like, these guys don't understand rocketry. It's like, well, that's okay. We're going to Google it and find it out. Yeah, so does anybody know when and how Artemis' gateway station will be built and launched? Um, do we have... there? They did lay out a timeline of when that was going to happen. So 2020... What I'm off of the top of the head... 2024, we will see at least three Falcon Heavy launches. Falcon Heavy will launch the first two modules of the Lunar Gateway Space Station um, in summer, fall 2024, I believe they were targeting, as well as two Dragon XL missions. Um, And that will be what builds the station to start and stock it. And then it'll slowly expand over about a decade uh, at that point. Keep in mind... Every time they dock, and I'm going to keep bringing this up because I think it's funny, uh, until I build an Orion, like, I can't even print an Orion module to this scale. Like, you're docking something this big, there, the top half of this without the launch, to this. That's what, that's what you're rendezvousing space, and then you're going to try to put a space station in between it. Um, it's going to look funny, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm excited that we're finally going to have another space station. And the fact that we're going to have a universe, 
that we have a space station around the moon, I think, is exciting. So we will see what happens uh, with that there. Uh, catching up here. Just I would love myself. to hear from some mathematically inclined people that know some more information than I do whether it would make much sense to have something like a Mars gateway if we were to expand beyond a lunar gateway or because we're already off uh, off Earth, there's really not much of a benefit. Um, I'd, I'd love to know the, the information behind that. It is a good question. I know there's a lot of talks on could the moon be our launching ground to the Mars and further because then you're not having to fight getting off of Earth as much. You know, if you use Orion to get to the moon or whatever, you can then use Starship and beyond uh, to get there. Because if we could get rid of needing the booster for Starship in orbit, that's going to be a lot easier just to refuel ships um, and stuff. Which I'm actually interested to see how many times, like, we know the HLS can't come back to Earth. So it's going to need refuel, which means we're going to have to send tankers to the moon to refuel the HLS lander. And we know that it's going to now need four to eight tankers. So are we going to send fleets of tankers to the moon? Uh, we'll see what happens. We're going to go from only being like eight times to going eight times in like a couple months. So, we'll, well, what type of fuel does it take? I don't think we fully know because they don't know how they're going to land it yet. But okay, I'm assuming enough. the same as what it launches with. So Bethelox. Okay. Or not Bethelox. Uh yeah, methalox, liquid oxygen and methane, yeah. Because um, I know we can get the oxygen feasibly from the moon, from the the ice. I don't, I don't know about the methane. <laughs> yeah, I think the methane they were wanting to bring, but yeah, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, Kevin was saying earlier that SpaceX is definitely improving their prototyping. Uh, absolutely, we've seen that. Uh, things have lasted longer. Believe it or not, we're coming up at six months since we've had over six months now since we've had a launch of a starship uh, it's been a while I, I know we're all getting the itch to see another one of those big uh water towers fly but uh it'll be interesting to see what the next one looks like and uh just how much the sites change if you go on google earth you can see an image from like two years ago and then an image from even like six months ago to now uh it's incredible just the speed uh that it's going uh, Jesse Cook was asking, does anyone know if the heat tiles are ablative or completely reusable? That's a great question. What were the shuttles? The shuttle heat tiles were reusable, but I know that they were inspected thoroughly after each launch one by one. One by because every single one was different. So it I was believe, all different. <laughs> I believe the starships are similar um, in the fact that they're reusable. That's a great question there, Jesse. Uh, old man space has been to Kennedy says it's amazing spent three days. Absolutely. Um, somebody's asking, uh, how private companies have enough to fund their own space stations. Part of it comes from investors. Also the cost of putting something there is supported a little bit through NASA. I don't think just monetarily, but also they're like allowing axiom to connect to the International Space Station and then build off of there and then detach in time. So they are getting a lot of support um, from existing entities already in space to help lower the cost a little bit. Yeah, the Axiom Space Station is going to be really interesting because it's quite large what they want to build. 
uh, and it's going to look ultra modern based on the renders compared to the ISS. Um, so the ISS is going to look funny for a while because it's almost going to get this whole new luxury wing uh, attached, which is how it's going to work. Um, and then eventually that's going to detach and become its own station with a really unique solar array system that almost makes it look like a T and then the stations below it. Um, so what we kind of come to know and love is like the big I or H of the ISS with the living modules in the middle uh, is going to change drastically. But I think that's just showing how if you look at the video where we break down the four stations, they all look different. Um, so it's interesting seeing the different concepts of, you know, Orbital Reef, of Skylab, of, not Skylab, Starlab, uh, and a few others. Uh, Starlab's a really unique one in the fact that it's a single launch for the entire station, but it's only designed for two or three people, I believe, for uh, missions. So it's not an expandable station, It's but they their thought is they could have multiple. So we could almost have a constellation of Starlabs in orbit that crews could uh, or agencies or private could rent out they're basically like space airbnb space stations is kind of their concept or private companies like nasa could buy multiple and just launch them individually because do they fully need the entire state like the u.s probably could only use the u.s section of the iss that's what they normally do and forget everyone else so it'll be interesting to see how that government cooperation that we both love continues when we see these different stations because nasa is going full-fledged into this everyone else do it we'll rent use we don't want to have to deal with doing a space station it's too expensive where a lot of these other countries it'll be interesting to see if they have the budgets um for it dirtfoot racing what says i'm interested go for it oh no sorry uh i'm interested to see how the new chinese space station develops over time and where that goes because i can see it on one hand being uh, a show of technical capability to say, look, we have our own thing, but then it's another uh, situation to create it and develop it into a real space station like the ISS and then constantly send people to research and maintain. Um, so excited to see where that goes. I'm jealous of Deerfoot Racing. Got to walk up and touch the crawler back in the 70s and go into the VAB. That would have been an amazing time to... See, see, now you've got to go back. you got to get a tour back at the VAB. Because I think it would be very interesting to see, having been there in the 70s, you know, right with the Apollo era ending, and seeing where it is now, uh, what it's like, um, and just the changes. And the, the fact that a lot of people want to see SpaceX buy that last uh, vertical stacking area. It's tall enough to fully stack a Starship. I'm not sure if there's enough room to do all their rings and everything that they need to do inside of it, but they do have their big SpaceX facility just down the street. Um, could Starship eventually be developed in the VAB? Because they want to launch from 39A. There's now the uh, rumors that they're looking at Pad 49 being developed as a brand new pad. We're working on a video that uh, breaks down. I thought it was going to be a little video breaking down like the future of Pad 39A, and then we got access to the master plans of Kennedy and the whole future plans of what Kennedy Space Center kind of is looking like uh, in th just theology and how it's being run. Um, and it's, it's going to change a lot. So we're trying to work to break that down in a way that makes sense. Um, but it'll be neat to see. It's neat hearing how people have seen Kennedy change from the 70s to now and how quickly I think we're going to see it change in the next five to ten years as we see basically every rocket 
except the Falcon 9 be replaced um, or reintroduced. Seeing here, Francis, uh, nope. Richie's saying SLS won't last for long. It's a great way to dispose of surplus rocket fuel. Uh, says Brandon. That's great to see here. If you guys have questions, you can send those in the chat. We're working our way, catching up on those. Um, somebody said they hadn't heard about the ISS extension. What is the best international government source for this kind of info? Uh, was it? That was the White House. Yeah, I was going to say there's no, like, um, an international source. It would just be, um, I think, our government and then... Did the Canadian government say anything about it, or Russian government, any other government? I think Canada just said they were excited to hear it was extended. Um, Canada, like, the Canadian Space Agency, though exists, is very small. We've only, I think, selected 14 astronauts ever to go into training. Um, so we need to, hey, CSA, pick it up. Let's 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 get up <laughs> into space. Um, you guys are really good at making arms. We're really good at making arms, and that's all we're known for. We did Canada... We did Canada Arm or Kadarm One for the space shuttle, which is the only reason any of you have a space station. So you're somewhat welcome. Canada Arm Two is on the space station, which is why half the time Russia can dock. Um, and then Canada Arm Three, I, uh, a friend from high school is actually uh, working on the team for that one, and that's going to be for the Lunar Gateway, um, which was super exciting to hear. Kind of a little bit about that being in development already. Um, because it's actually going to be two arms. It's going to be the main arm, and it's going to have a little arm that can change out the stuff in the head of the other one, but also repair the first, the, the main arm with the little arm, because it won't always be stationed. That's one thing with the Lunar Gateway. It will sit empty at times. So when crews arrive, uh, it's going to be like scenes in, I don't know, The Martian and a few others where, you know, they open a hatch, they have to turn the station on. I, I'm hoping they automate it, that, you know, when they launch, you know, they open the hatch, all the lights turn on, robot says hello or something, but um, we'll see what happens. And the, the whole robot kind of joke is dead serious because Alexa, I'm sorry how many of you I just triggered, um, is going on Artemis 1. Uh, they're doing a test of how can that work um, in space and in the concepts, I guess it is. Um, I believe it was Artemis 1. Um for what yeah what they could use a ai human assistant like um so uh you know not beam me up but uh launch me up could work as a command i don't know um what do you think about ai starting to work its way into the space industry i don't know how alexa is supposed to work in what configuration one i don't like alexa too much if being honest but uh, well, okay. I should say hey, Alexa. Siri, we gotta throw all wanna... of everybody's off. <laughs> yeah. Hey Google. Um, Big speed. So I know if if I'm correct, Alexa has some limited availability off of data. Do they want to run it in that configuration and just expand that limited availability specifically for whatever the mission entails, or do they want to try and have some consistent data link there? And how would that kind of throw a wrench into things if it takes maybe a few seconds to ping the server and to like what region because the Earth is constantly rotating and that's not a normal thing that AliXA has to deal with and like feasibly just how that works. Yeah, I was just pulling it up here. Um, 
It's going to demonstrate tech products poised to adorn spacecrafts of the future. Uh, Callisto will also include uh, Cisco's video conferencing software, WebEx, uh, which one day may offer astronauts face time with ground control, uh, other crew members and loved ones back on Earth. Um, so there, uh, a lot of people were pointing out, picture the iconic scene from the 2014 movie Interstellar, where Cooper receives tons of unseen video messages from his daughter Murph. Spoilers, sorry. It's 2014. You should have watched it by now. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it'll be WebEx, interesting to see. Like, are they really needed for something like that? Because you can just send an MP4. Like, is the WebEx branding because they want to pay their way onto there? It's all money. It's always money. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fair enough. Then, if if that's the reason, then good on NASA. They can get some outside funding. But uh, I don't know. I see it as more of a PR stunt. I think if I were to be an astronaut uh, on an Artemis mission, no way I'm using ALEXA. It's just it's not feasible. Anything that I can ask it to do, I can do probably faster than I'm asking it to do. Or there's a switch that can do it faster than I can say for it to do it. Um, I don't see where the real utility is there beyond just saying I am Jeff Bezos and something that I created is now on Artemis, even if uh, my my rockets can't quite get to the moon or, or do any of that yet. Yeah, going through here. So the way they're going to make it work is they're going to put a, basically a speaker in Orion and then they're going to have the smart systems in there and then they're going to have a simulated Orion crew at Johnson Space Center, I'm assuming at the in the Orion capsule, that will then give commands that will play through the speaker on the real Orion in space, and then the computer will have to respond. I really hope they don't use the command Alexa, but use the command computer, which is one of the like six options that you can use for, because that's just going to kind of be cool, that you, computer. Maybe they'll have a new one and just be like, Artemis, hello, like or something. Uh, but uh, they're saying basically... They're going to test things like play music, but also like how fast is the ship going, how far from the moon. So I think maybe we could see it doing basic just updates, you know, if they're curious. Okay. Rather than having to look That's at the screen. That's fair. So long as it does not at any point have access to functional controls. Yeah, I, I can say, hey, AliXA, what time is it? And I'd be okay with that. <laughs> You wouldn't want to say, hey, Alexa, kick it in a high gear. No, because what if she says kick in a high gear is, oh, did you mean kick you out of the <laughs> spacecraft? Sure, yeah. Well, it sounds like someone's uh, been watching some know. movies. <laughs> Look, I don't know. Jeff Bezos gives me the creeps sometimes. <laughs> Jeff who? Um, Francis <laughs> is asking, could Starship even launch something that big? Looking at the time, I think we were talking about Lavoir. Um, for it. Uh, it it's going to fold up um, pretty pretty compactly from how they look. Very similar to James Webb that it'll com uh, compact the solar shield and then instead of having only two folds on the primary mirror, it'll have four. So it'll kind of wrap all the way around. Um, so uh, it is something that it is. I think it'll only work depending on how they do the payload bay for cargo versions of Starship. Uh, that's the thing with SLS. They launch, they have a fairing, you're on your way. Um, so that might end up being something that SLS uh, does. But 15 meters uh, is absolutely massive. But uh, NASA's working on bigger stuff uh, with their solar sail program that they're getting ready to launch. On Artemis 1, they're going to launch a solar sail that 
will be the size of a toaster at launch, but it'll expand to the size of a New York City apartment. And then they have the next plan is in two to three years. We don't know how small it is uh, when they shrink it, but it's scaling up by a matter of 10, I believe. Um, So they're trying to scale it up, and they believe they need to go two or three more scales up from the, not the toaster one, but the next one, to uh, have enough solar power through the sail to have interplanetary travel. So we're working on getting one, some of their team on for an interview uh, as uh, solar sail travel will be very interesting to see. Um, but we're kind of entering an era, it seems, where we like really folding things. You know, we had the... Uh, is it XB, the last one that just launched that spins and has the three telescopes? It was retracted. Uh, we've got James Webb. We're seeing a lot of things be condensed that then have to expand uh, as they go. I would love to see a space interferometer. Um, For those that of way, us that don't know what that means. Okay, so uh, there's a type of telescope where you can have multiple telescopes in different places, and then the effective... Uh, like diameter of the telescope itself is the total distance between, let's say, two, for example, right now. So if they're 100 miles apart, then you have like a 100-mile telescope. And you will take whatever light comes and like place them in sync with each other, I think. And whatever like light cancels out, that kind of gives you your effective resolution. And then you can start looking at your data. So on Earth, we are limited to the diameter of Earth. But if we can send something to space, it doesn't have to be very large. Um, we can send a few to space um, and just have, like, let's say, one at L1 and one at L2. That would be incredible. I, I'd want to see something like that. And that can be done uh, pretty, I mean, well, cheap relative. You're sending something to L1 and L2. But you don't have to have something the size of James Webb to send that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. So um, the minimum is $1 million for 200 kilograms. And then every kilogram beyond that point goes up an additional $15,000. Granted, that's only for the weight. If you need um, certain size porthole or you need uh, certain ejection technologies or other weird odds and ends, uh, of which there's probably a few. And I know the website SpaceX had set up used to show all of this information. They no longer do for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, uh, suffice to say, if you're a company that wants to send a satellite to orbit a million dollars, that's not too bad. And I'm sure SpaceX is making, yeah, go ahead. I'm sure SpaceX is making a killing off of that, too, because if you think a million dollars minimum, they just sent 105 of them. Uh, if it costs 55 roughly to send the rocket out itself, that's already already about a 50 percent profit margin. And the, probably a lot of those went over the one million dollar minimum. So uh, if they keep doing. Yeah, if they keep doing ride shares. They'll probably make out really well. Oh, you're muted again, Zach. You're muted again. <laughs> this is a site that you sent me. Thank you guys for calling that out. 
uh, catching the, <laughs> oh, the, the touch buttons, you know, so many buttons. Uh, but yeah, this is a site, so you can pick, uh, you know, where we want to go. Uh, so today was a some synchronous, uh, and then you can pick a date. Uh, I love that they have until 2045 listed. Um, 23 years in the future, you can say you want a rocket launch. Uh, that's how far out some of these missions are planning. This is after when we plan on launching both Lavoirs. So it'll be very interesting to see. But let's say, you know, 2025. You know what? Let's go back. 2024 sounds like an exciting year. We'll move back into 24. And we'll go on the anniversary of Inspiration 4. Why not? Uh, and then you put input the mask. Give me a random kilogram. Uh, 420. I'm going to pull an Elon. Well, you know, then we have to do 42069. Okay. Uh, that's too much. We can't do that much. There. So it's 2.11 million to launch that. And then you hit next. And then they're like, there are no flights available. Just like when you're trying to book a flight uh, <laughs> to space. But, ooh, what's this? Click all flight. This is interesting. We oh, okay. Not we didn't really poke around. We didn't really poke around here. Who wants to book a flight? We're taking sponsorships. Um... So you can see all flights or see dedicated ride shares. So let's see. I think the see all flight. I don't think those buttons work, but here we go. Oh, wait, they do have all of the selections. Yeah. So if you select a flight date, uh, they have all the different port options and then they've got port adapters, separation systems, fuel needed, insurance, payload electrical connectivity. So these must be sold out or already booked. Because so this one's not going to be I'm looking at May 2022. There we go. If that helps. January 2023. Next year, you know, on our second year anniversary, going into our third year, we'll buy a Falcon 9 mission. Here we go. Oh, wow. Okay, why is this as easy as, like, ordering something off of Amazon? Yeah, I see, don't feel I like earlier. this should be this easy. You know what? Let's go with the biggest one. Why not? Okay. Separation systems, payload, fuel. Let's go as expensive as we can. Why not? Let's see how much the most expensive thing would cost. See all flights. The first one. See, this is what happens, folks. Launchpad, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I feel like I should mention at this point, if you guys can't ever watch the Launchpod uh, on YouTube, we are going to be releasing this as an audio-only version on all of the platforms we hope to have that up by tomorrow or the next day uh we'll try to get it up always within 24 to 48 hours of the stream uh but uh we are currently looking at the rideshare website for spacex uh where we're basically doing like if you've ever ordered a pizza online it's basically that so we picked we picked our bread our bottom and now we're adding all of our add-ons uh and it is giving us a price Oh, 15,000. That's not bad. When you're talking millions, some of these... Okay, there we go. Separation systems are apparently expensive. Um, starting at a quarter million. Sure, we want electrical. Why not? And sure, let's do some fuel. And <laughs> insurance. I love that SpaceX is like, would you like to add insurance to your launch? You know, <laughs> just in case. Uh, we'll throw the two million on there. Why not? That's the maximum. Uh, so 2.68 million for a ride share. That's actually a lot less than I thought. Now comparing that to Launcher 1, Launcher 1 was 12 million and they only fit two customers on board. Uh, 
with five satellites. So it looks like it almost is close to the same price if that's what they paid, you know, if they divide by five. But it's close. So that that's interesting to see. We'll have to play around in that more. Uh, I'm not... What happens when you hit continue? Is there... Yeah, you send an email uh, for it. Does it confirm? Do you have to put in a credit card? <laughs> yeah, you're no? going to get a call tomorrow. Oh, from, you do. You SpaceX. totally do. You have to put in a deposit in the moment when you book on the... Okay, what world do we live well, it's in? Only, right? It's only $5,000. That's, yeah, that's don't worry. <laughs> Within five days of acceptance, you owe them a million. <laughs> and then you... Don't worry. It comes in installments. It's okay. They have a finance plan to meet their needs, not yours. Uh, <laughs> that was a total joke. I am amazed that you could literally go online and uh, book that. That's fantastic. I like that the first payment is just through a credit card, not a bank. Yeah, it's like no, just put just five. Put it on the company card. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, they do make sure you do uh, sanctions and ITAR. I kind of want to download this for later, so we're gonna look at that later. Uh, why not? We'll take the user guide, terms and conditions. We're gonna we're gonna study what happens with a Falcon Nine, but. Uh, it's uh it, that that's amazing. That's a cool site to uh have a chance to dive into that's open to the public, which is kind of crazy. Uh Heather, it does say non-refundable. So, and they they have uh so it says deposits cover the cost of processing and validating requests for reservations. Uh if SpaceX approves the request for reservation, the deposit amount will be applied towards the total launch price. Basically, they're charging you $5,000 to call you and say, is this real? Do you really want to fly with us? <laughs> you know what? It would almost be worth $5,000 just to get that call. And they'd be like, no, but I want an interview with Elon. Like, yeah, just wanted to talk to you guys. How's your day? <laughs> like, yeah, if you were that if anyone would like to sponsor our Falcon 9 flight, you can send us an email at thelaunchpadnews at gmail.com. Um, but uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely crazy. I love that the chat's just as excited for it. Um, but uh, we are, we're not going to tell you what yet, but keep in mind, uh, keep in the look for the future that we're going to share about how you can join us on a mission uh, into space in the future. So stay tuned for that. I'm not sharing more than that. Ian knows where it's going, but uh, that's as far as we're going to go with that one. Um, saw a few other. Uh, questions here. The military can do exactly what Starship is intent. The military can do exactly what Starship is intended. X-35 classic version, but they are into exomarine ability like a submarine. Oh, so the military uses submarines. So military does like underwater starships. I think that's where that was going. I'm not too sure. I um, want to see a Starship launch uh, water dragon style one day. If I you don't know think that it is. could. Could it handle the pressure? No, probably not. But that doesn't mean that I don't want to see it. <laughs> I mean, we all want to see a. Uh, <laughs> we we all want to see a. Um, a sea dragon happen. Maybe one day. We'll, sea we'll, dragon. My bad. Sea dragon would be amazing. I want to get a sea dragon model, but it's like massive. Like Starship's big, but there's no way I'm getting a 148 scale sea dragon in this house. 
The Falcon Heavy almost didn't fit through the door, let alone the Starship won't fit on one floor. I'd have to cut a hole in the roof. roof. Um, Q&A, no, QA6 just... says, AI labor doesn't need to get there doesn't need to get there expressed like humans, but scheduled, acquired, it'll take them now. Like, take them now. Uh, I, I'm not sure where that was going, but I think the point of just even AI doesn't need, like, labor. Like, you don't have to pay it. So, could you alleviate some of the crude roles? And I mean, this kind of crazy talk, but could you alleviate some of the crude roles on these starship flights in the future where we are taking, you know, 50 or 100 people at a time? to the moon or Mars and have a AI type system uh, instead of having to put other people on board. Like, are we going to have like star flight? Uh, what was it? Uh, SpaceX air flight attendants that are taking people to the moon. Like I can't imagine the in-flight service. You want peanuts? Okay, here you go. Like what are they going to do with that? Or is it going to be AI? Um, and then looking at the earth to earth options, there's not going to be anything. You're going to get in a seat, and you're going to sit in that seat until you get out of the plane or out of the ship because you're going up, and then you're belly flopping, and you're landing. There's not going to be, like, a coast period more than a few minutes. So we'll see. We have a question from Chance. Uh, what did Jared pay for Inspiration 4? Wasn't it around $100 million? We never got an actual answer. Um all we know is that he said he wanted to donate at least as much as he put in for the flight. So we know that he didn't pay more than $200 million. That's, do we, do we have any other information? Do you know about that, Zach? You are muted again, Zach. Third time's the charm. Um, we know it was $55 million a person, which is 220 Plus, there was probably some fees for booking and running the raffles and everything. Um, and then we know that uh, because they ran it like a raffle, they are going to have to um, get taxed. Uh, the winners get taxed because it was a raffle prize. And Jared sounded like he was going to cover whatever those taxes were. He was like, I'm not going to bankrupt someone because they won a, a raffle because they bought a $5 ticket. So, I mean, I don't know what the tax system's like down there on a raffle, but I would assume that's a number of million, um, knowing government likes money and taxing people. Um, so I would say you're well over the 250 I don't think they raised more than he spent because you also have to include everything else he did custom trainer jets he had his private jet he had flew them all over the country all the time um and uh we'll yeah kind of just see where that kind of goes um as it continues on sorry i just had an absolute heart attack with youtube um 
don't ever watch your subscribers live because uh, they totally just plummeted our channel from 50,000 to 565 <laughs> on the live tracker. <laughs> both both Ian and I can see this. Uh, he can see me screenshotting uh, the, this happening. Sorry, that was a scary moment. Uh, thank you, YouTube, for another heart attack. But, yeah, he paid quite a bit um, to that mission. And I think that's... I'm wondering when we'll see the next one, something like it. Uh, I know there's a bunch of us uh, Inspiration24 crew that are ready to go if someone wants to sponsor a starship uh, for us. But uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens next because we don't have another mission like that that has the big cupola uh, window. Everything's going back to the station with Axiom. So the space adventure flights last we heard weren't seeming to be going forward. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see what's next. Uh, JTTV says, I want to know if they are going to be doing a fighter plane stuff for future SpaceX stuff. Uh, I mean, the DOD and Air Force are going to buy starships for, like, military purposes, but I don't think SpaceX is going to build, like, a military plane. Uh, Chris L., what if Elon rides on one of his own rockets like Bezos did? That'd be interesting. He definitely will. Uh, Elon says in the next decade he will go to Mars. That's his plan. Um... But we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to be a decade. I think 15 to 20 years. But uh, he will go to Mars eventually on a Starship. If Starship's proven well enough, maybe he'll do a, a moon flight uh, with it. But he's not going to go on the first flight. Uh, he's going to be long after. Because uh, could you imagine what would happen if Elon was gone? Uh, if something were to happen? Uh, I mean, SpaceX is a huge team. Gwen Shotwell does an amazing job keeping them actually on track. But... Uh, We'd have to see what occurs there. Lightning Rob believes it was the first commercial flight played with some Bitcoin as well. Uh, it had a lot of firsts. It had Jared placed a bet in space on, I think it was a football game or a horse match, which was the first gambling ever done in space. There was a lot of firsts during Inspiration 4 that unfortunately really didn't get I, I want to take your 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 take on this as someone that was a competitor for inspiration for and could have been on it um from having had that opportunity were you happy with how much press and focus the world put on it do you think it was covered as equally to as big of an event i think it was uh it's tricky i think they did a decent job of coverage but I don't think the public was actually captured by that coverage. Um, so, like, looking back to when uh, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos both did their launches, that got a lot of press the day of, and so did Inspiration4. Inspiration4 got a lot of press way before that, only because it was announced way before that, and then they had some follow-up press, too, uh, and documentaries and such. But when those other two billionaire launches happened, everybody talked about it all over Twitter, all over Facebook, um, at least in, in my world. And maybe I'm biased because I like people that like space. But uh, Inspiration4, uh, there were definitely people talking about it, but it didn't feel like it was nearly to the same degree. And honestly, I think part of that is just because there was no negativity attached to it, which sounds weird to say. But 
typically billionaires come with the stigma of being a billionaire, but more so what the public has perceived of them as a person already. People don't like Jeff Bezos. That's an easy punching bag to talk about that. Richard Branson was the first. So that was a lot of stuff there. And it's Um, Richard Branson. And it's Richard Branson. Well, that doesn't mean as much here. Um, (laughs) That's true. But Inspiration 4 was truly a good heartwarming thing that raised money for charity and that most people liked. So there wasn't polarization in the same way there were with other spaceflight events. And I think that led to just people not talking about it as much, maybe being interested in saying like, oh, that's cool, but not really much beyond that. That That's a actually really good way to look at, look at it. Coming from like an international perspective, Inspiration4 was talked about, I think, once on my media. I mean, our interview happened so quickly that we were the news story more than the Inspiration4 announcement, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I think. Um, but, like, they, they talked about it. I know they showed the launch, but uh, I guess to me it was more I, bigger. I feel like Shuttle had more coverage, but... Maybe it didn't. I mean, we were in such a different world. We didn't have social media. We didn't have... I mean, we had the first iPhone when the shuttle was ending. So I think it would be interesting. It's just such a different industry now um, that it's kind of hard to think. Back then, the only way you saw it was if you watched NASA TV or you saw it on the news and they would cover it because it was a shuttle launch. So uh, that's absolutely interesting to see here. I think a small part of it, too, and and maybe this didn't play at all, was it was a night launch and the other two were day launches. I don't know if that has any relevance. And it was smack dab in the middle of the week. I thought that would... I don't know how the media, like TV media works. I, I agree. Like, to me, I pictured them, like, not mass interrupting, but, like, five minutes to launch you know your local station if it was a bigger one like fox or something would have you know first all civilian you you see the movies you know first mission of the moon you know when we send civilians to the moon every news station is going to cover that and that's where my mind was going with this is this is our first stepping stone first civilian mission to space first civilian mission to moon and then first civilian to mars and I don't know. I kind of like, I tried to look back after and talk to some people that were watching from home and they were like, yeah, no, I watched my show. I didn't know what happened. And I was like, well, what channel are you on? They're like, oh, my main news one. And I was like, would have been that hard? Like 10 minutes. You didn't have to show the whole thing. Just, just the launch portion. Um, Cause I think a lot of people didn't know what happened. I know when we were down in Florida, we were talking to people, even in our hotel, you know, 20, 30 miles away. And they're like, oh, what well, was launching today? And I was like, first all civilian mission to space you have five tvs right in front of your your front desk like did none of them show it oh they showed a launch but it was like it was just interesting how there wasn't necessarily all that fanfare that we necessarily thought because i thought florida was quiet mind you pandemic that does have an impact as well yeah for sure uh i think we're getting to kind of the and of the questions, if you guys have any last ones, you can send those in. Um, but kind of thinking about the things coming up uh, over the next week that you guys can uh, 
look forward to for launches. Obviously, we'll see what happens for uh, Starbase testing. Uh, but on January 18th, uh, next Tuesday, we're expecting to see Starlink 4-6. Uh, we have Astra with their Rocket 3 Demo 2A mission. But this is going to be an interesting one. They're launching from Slick 46 at Cape Canaveral Space Force Station. So that's going to be their first launch of the year. We also have India with the ISRO uh, currently targeting a launch on January 20th. So we hope to see them do well. We know the last one... Uh, did not uh, have a successful launch. I believe it was that one of their last stages uh, didn't finalize, so they did lose. We've got January 21st, we got an Atlas V, and then we got another Falcon 9 on the 27th of January to kind of wrap up the January season uh, or January calendar. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that will occur. Obviously, there's a lot of China launches occurring. If for any reason we can get a uh, live view from China, uh, then we will bring that to you guys live here on the Launchpad. But make sure definitely for the SpaceX, the Astra, uh, the India, and the Atlas, you guys can come back here and catch those live launch coverages uh, and any other space news that happens uh, during the week. Zach, I have a question for you. Go for it. If I am an interested space enthusiast and want to know what is currently happening with the James Webb Space Telescope, where do I go? Well, you click just on the channel link below and you just go to our live 24-7 tracker, uh, which I can pull up here where uh, we'll be running it all the way through until they get to L2. So we got uh, 10 more days uh, of that that you guys can take a look and see uh, kind of what L2, what L2, what uh, James Webb uh, is doing. Really, there's not a lot of exciting updates like there kind of was before uh where we had you know activities and press conferences and stuff uh at this point they're doing those finer movements of the mirror but we will uh patch in those updates as they occur but you can uh track and see the temperatures the distance uh it's really amazing to see where it's actually kind of going and has been um so you can take a uh look at that there uh, on the launch pad, or I can drop the link in the chat as well. That's 24-7, and it has a really awesome chat of people uh, that are hanging out kind of all through the night. We've had a number of the James Webb team uh, jumping in the chat as well uh, throughout the entire mission from launch day all the way through deployment, uh, some of their uh, kind of head directors and everything. So uh, excited to actually be getting information from their team uh, as we work towards L2, it's 85.45% of the way there uh, and slowing down. Uh, I know we got to like 30% in like three days and everyone's like, why is it so slow now? Well, it's gravity, but uh, they're coming up on 1.25 million kilometers. They passed three quarters of a million miles today. So uh, it's moving and it's starting to chill. Uh, so it's, it's cold right now, but uh, it's got a little bit more to go until it's... Uh, at its final placement. Now, follow-up question. Let's say I've been active on that stream because it is an amazing stream. You should all watch it. And I'm jazzed. I'm revved up. I love James Webb Space Telescope, and I want it on a shirt. In fact, I want lots of space merchandise. Where do I go? You should have told me. I would have had these all spooled up. <laughs> you go to etsy.com slash the launchpad shop, or maybe one of our mods or I can uh, get that link in the uh, 
the chat here, but uh, we probably should do a final warning on our uh, our holiday collection here. So we're, we'll, we'll take that offline. You guys got a couple more days to uh, pick those up. You can get your limited edition. Oh, it, there we go. Ugly Starbase uh, t-shirts or hoodies available. Uh, but yeah, you can pick up your uh, James Webb limited edition uh, mug, water bottle, and shirts uh, up until we reach L2. Once we have L2 insertion, those are going to drop off uh, and be limited there uh, to celebrate the chopsticks uh, opening and uh, raising up for the first time. You can pick up uh, there. whole bunch of stuff. I've got the Raptor shirt on now, but uh, definitely take a look and pick up uh, something of your favorite things. Um, yeah, it's definitely a place to go. And because it's a launch day, you can use promo code launch day and get 10% off. So it's a good day to head on over to that uh, exclamation point, not hop. There we go. Uh, so there's the link in the chat for you guys. So uh, that's a good question. Now the question is, what's your first shirt going to be off the shop? Have you looked at the shop? Me personally, or are you asking the you chat? You personally. And the oh, chat. me personally. I've looked at the shop. I don't know if I have decided what my first shirt is going to be. That being said, I did mention James Webb because, as you may have become aware through this podcast, I am a major fan of James Webb. And they have some very cool James Webb limited edition t shirts. So what I don't do you know. Think it's the first thing day. coming out of James Webb's going to be? Uh, I think it's going to be something really boring in all honesty i know people like to think it's going to be something cool but they need a good baseline image of something they probably have observed many times it's probably just going to be a standard starfield something is my guess yeah i kind of have the feeling it's gonna be like oh that's it okay and then we'll have some mind-blowing photos like hubble maybe a year from now i think that's yeah, when, yeah. once they fully tweak it I think it's it's going to take some time. We're going to see some crazy stuff. I'm just not expecting that uh, soon. I am looking at this shop, Zach, and I will let you know this NASA worm duffel bag has caught my eye oh, because I am in the market for a new duffel bag, and it looks phenomenal. Everybody, go take a look at the shop. There's some cool stuff there. Yeah, it's uh, adding always some new stuff, and uh, soon, and I will just say that, we're not going to say a date when, but soon uh, we're going to be bringing some of those stuff things out. But uh, Francis, any idea how long we'll have the limited edition James Webb shirts? So all the limited edition stuff will be up until James Webb tweets that it's had L2 insertion. And the moment that happens, it's going to be gone. Um, we are going to bring out just a basic James Webb shirt after that. Um, that'll be similar, but it's not going to be uh, everything with like the date and everything on it. But uh, just to have... Uh, a couple things, the regular James Webb shirts will stay on, um, just so you guys still do have an option down the road, but uh, that a limited edition one, we wanted to have something special for the month of deployment, and can I say, you guys have eaten it up like crazy. People are so excited, James Webb, we shipped to countries I didn't even think we could ship to, uh, and you guys are starting to receive those, so if you have placed an order, if you can drop a review or send us a photo on Twitter or even on Etsy, uh, we love seeing you guys in the uh, TLP gear. Since we're promoing the shop, um, your Lunar Sample return bottles uh, are pretty sweet when you leave them at a table and walk away. People get slightly concerned when they pick it up and read it. 
Um, so it's pretty fun, especially if you live near like a space community or a university. Um, so definitely check it out. That is great. Uh, I want to answer this really quickly. Dragon King, am I going to get a James Webb Space Telescope model for my setup? Absolutely, I am. 100%. Uh, and what I have scale yet to do find you want? the. Uh, I have no idea. I think I will go with whatever scale looks best with whatever model looks best, whatever scale that just happens to be. That looks pretty good, Zach. <laughs> just some, you know, teasers. Just teasers. Okay, okay. We'll see Lots what... of shop talk today. This is good. This is, yeah, how else would we end a, shop, uh, a show uh, but with shop talk? Good, yeah, we got a plug. Always plug. Always. You know, you guys made it two hours the way through. We'll plug the last five minutes. But I think that's going to do it for us. Any last thoughts for this week? Another fun space week. Uh, lots of good information, lots of good conversation, and lots of good fans to talk to. I am excited to see where next week takes us. Um, and it was nice talking to you again, Zach. You as well. It was... Uh... Yeah, a great week uh, to review. Wow, you shrunk. It <laughs> <How laughs> happens that happen? sometimes. I just shrink. <laughs> sometimes that that's interesting. I have no idea how that. I honestly, that's that's very interesting. Uh, but uh, you're just gonna be small right for the, the end, end here, uh, and I'll, okay. I'll finish it this way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have no idea how that happened. But uh, that's going to do it for us of episode one of the launch pod. Thank you guys so much for being here. If you uh, were here and listened through through the replay, thanks for doing so. Let us know in the comments. And if you guys have questions through it and you're watching the replay or still here live, you can drop those in the comments and we'll keep an eye out for those and answer them there. If we missed your question, the best way uh, to uh, get a question on the show for next week is to head on over and you can send it in. We're going to schedule the next week's stream right away here. But the best way, head on over streamelements.com slash the launchpad slash tip. All of those get put together and will be saved for next week's show. Uh, and we will guarantee that we will answer those questions. So if you ever have a question during the week, you can send it in there. If you guys have a topic or a news story that you guys are super stoked about, you can head over to the launchpadofficial.com, click on the launch pod, and you can send that in at any time during the week. And starting next week, we are going to start picking uh, a couple of your guys' top stories to be our main points uh, for each show. Uh, and we'll be reading what you guys send in uh, here on air for what you guys think were the biggest topics of the week but uh, for now that's going to do it here at the Launchpad it's our mission to inform and inspire the explorers of tomorrow and we believe that space is better together this is episode 001 of the Launchpad complete we'll see you next time have a good night